I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to today's edition of the Rush Limbaugh Show podcast. Yes, America's Anchorman is away, and this is your... EIB anchor baby, Mark Stein, honored to be here, thrilled to be here, no supporting paperwork whatsoever in uh, whatever this is now. What is it, the fourth month of lockdown? Uh, my hair's white, my beard's grown three inches since yesterday's show. i got two chipmunks nesting in it, which is really irritating. I'm sitting here in my Charlie Rose bathrobe that I got in a PBS fundraiser in 1998, the Charlie Rose bathrobe, court not included. It's the one he uses for the second interview with prospective uh, interns. What a degrading life. How long is this going to go on for is the big question. Uh, There's the the old analogy about switching the light bulb on and the V-shaped recovery. Nobody seems to be talking about that anymore, but uh, uh, tentatively clicking up the dimmer switch and uh, I don't know whether there is a letter for what this recovery if such there be is going to look like when I left you yesterday um, uh, we basically were in the situation where we'd had it on again off again on again with the White House Corona Task Force conference and we were told it wasn't going to be a White House Corona Task Force um, and that the president was going to speak to the nation. And then it turned out to be a sort of semi-corona task force conference with the Admiral and uh, Dr. Burks unveiling the scarf of the day. And then before that, we had uh, the president introduce fellas from Walgreens and CVS and Walmart who came up and thanked their fabulous associates, which I think uh, is these chief executives' euphemism Uh, for their employees, and uh, they came up and thanked their employees and said they were now operating uh, 20 test sites in three states or three test sites in 20 states, whatever it was. And then the usual gotcha, the usual layabouts of the deadbeat American media, useless American media. Uh, I mentioned yesterday one of the few bright spots of news over this thing 
is that this is the final nail in the coffin for the dullest, most useless newspapers in the English-speaking world, which are unlikely to survive this thing and aren't eligible for the payroll protection program. Anyway, they then come on and do their usual gotcha questions. So boring, so boring. Um, after, after the conference on Fox News, Britt Hume came on and said there are, there, there are two lines on this. The first line is, China lied, people died. Uh, the second line is, Trump lied, people died. And uh, the, the media are, are 300% invested in making sure the latter comes out on top uh, like this. And actually, so are the so, so-called social media. The criticism, criticism of China, any departure from the WHO line at Facebook and YouTube now gets yanked as fake news. The, the people who have lied to us, who spent January and February lying to the planet is now the official version of events at Facebook and YouTube. Gee, it's almost it's almost like a small cabal of woke billionaires have sold their souls to the Satan uh, in Beijing. It's bizarre. Anyway, Brit Brit's line is uh, China lied, people died. Trump lied, people died. Pick one and drag it across the finish line. And the media have decided that Trump lied, people died is the one they're going to try and drag across the finish line. Olivia... Uh, Nutsi, Nutsi, uh, Olivia Nutsi uh, of New York Magazine said, this was the question she asked, how does it feel to be the first president of the United States to lose more Americans in six weeks than were lost in the Vietnam War? Right? You see where they're headed with this? It's not very difficult. And uh, President Trump was more restrained than I would have been if I'd gotten a question like that. And that this is this is going to be there. Which line wins? China lied, people died. Trump lied, people died. Which line wins is going to determine the out? Because this would be a great, fantastic coup uh, for the professionals of uh, American presidential politics. Last time round, Trump ran by getting rid of all the ads. Uh, all the uh, staffers, all the consultants, all the grifters who attach like barnacles on a, a rusting tugboat at the bottom of the Suez Canal to presidential candidates. He did He did without all of that. He had nobody. He had a couple of people. He had Hope Hicks and Corey Lewandowski. Uh, and he had no staffers. No, he just he just went out there, said what he thought and won. It it was a, a it was a cam it was a presidential campaign that was all candidate and no campaign. Now the, the the professionals resented that, and now they've got the opposite. They got Joe Biden, who is all staffers and no candidate. He doesn't know what's being tweeted. In he's in he's self isolated in his rec room right now, uh, and uh, they're carrying on with statements and tweets and Facebook posts. He's got no idea what's being said in his name. He's self isolating in his rec room. It's sad for him. He's been reduced to groping himself. That's how bad it is for poor Joe Biden in lockdown at the moment. Uh, and and the more he's uh, unseen, the better his numbers get. So in the swing states like Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, he's eight points ahead. In Florida. Uh, he's three points ahead. It's it's looking good for him as long as he stays in the rec room groping himself. Uh, but at the but at the moment, I I suggested yesterday I wasn't I would didn't want to go back to just a normal White House press conference with the gotcha questions. Um, 
God bless him. Rush was the first to discern that there was something slightly odd about doing these things every day for two hours every day. And um, I, I, at that point, I was still quite enjoying them because I liked seeing him, you know, punch, uh, bat back the question and shove it down uh, the the gullet of these guys uh, from CNN and all the rest of it. But I don't know, what's the point of letting Olivia Nuzzi, they're all saying, oh, uh, congratulations, never seen someone so brave asking a question of that of the president. no. There's nothing brave about that. You're going to get awards for it. It's, but it's pathetic. It doesn't increase. We are three months into this thing, and we still know nothing about this, uh, this disease. And the way it's been, uh, again, to go back to something Rush said, which was actually quite right. He said China has weaponized this thing. Whether or not China invented it or whether it came from Bertie the Bat flying around Wuhan one night, uh, or whether it was actually cooked up in their labs, doesn't matter. The fact is, the minute it was on the ground in Wuhan, China weaponized it. Uh, what was fascinating to me, as I said yesterday, 75% of all deaths, 200,000 deaths worldwide, 75% of them in, 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 uh, in just six countries, which is uh, the United States, uh, the United Kingdom, uh, France... Italy, Spain, and the EU and NATO capital of uh, Belgium, uh, which is odd. It's not a normal distribution for, in other words, whether or not they did weaponize it, uh, if they had weaponized it, this is exactly what it would look like. It's bizarre. And we don't have any interesting questions about that. We don't have any interesting questions about what we've learned from how it spreads, where it spreads. We don't have any interesting questions about how it, it kills a lot of old white people, but it's also killing a lot of young black people. It killed some 35-year-old black rapper the other day. Very sad story uh, as well about a 30-year-old black teacher in New York that it killed. These are some. This is a disease we know as little about as to how it affects why they tripled the number. They recently tripled the number of uh, symptoms of the disease. And we still know as little uh, about it as as we did then. But I'm not sure. I still would have preferred yesterday. I would like a big Trumpian speech laying out. Because what is what is this thing? It's basically globalism versus nationalism. This is a disease of globalism. This is a disease that China... Uh, as I said, it doesn't match the profile of ordinary pandemics. It's as if it's almost as if China uh, picked uh, six super spreaders and and uh, put them on flights from Wuhan uh, to uh, uh, New York to London to Brussels to Paris to Madrid uh, and to Milan. It's almost as if they did exactly that. If you look at the 75 percent of where the deaths are. I'd just like to have some more science. Now, also, the other thing that's developed since yesterday is we've now moved, we're moving on to the litigation phase. And there's two kinds of litigation. Uh, the care homes, where massive numbers of people have died. And in New York in particular, uh, Andrew Cuomo, at some point, is going to have to be called to account for the state's decision basically to park what they regarded as non-threatening COVID patients in care homes. So they actually introduced uh, COVID-positive patients 
to the vulnerable population. Andrew Cuomo, oh, Andrew Cuomo, he's doing a fantastic, doing a marvellous job. He's playing this thing like a Stradivarius. Yes, if you watch the TV, and then when the TV show ends, he's about the most useless klutz there is, as is evidenced uh, by what's happened uh, in the southern part of his state. So they're now asking for liability for care homes. Now we're asking... Uh, everybody else is demanding liability, too, because we're about to enter the lawsuit phase where they reopen the hair salons and then your Auntie Mabel goes and gets her blue rinse uh, and she dies three weeks later because there's uh, coronavirus uh, in the conditioner at the hair salon. Uh, so we're about to enter that phase of it, too. Uh, the Rush Limbaugh Show on uh, America's Excellence in Broadcasting Network. As I said yesterday, we don't want to forget about the other news. Uh, Kim Jong-un, uh, the chai uh, apparently know what's going on. The Japanese insist he's in a vegetative state, uh, and it turns out they don't mean by vegetative state just North Korea. Um, then there are others who have satellite photos who say they have pictures of his train uh, going to uh, hide from the coronavirus at his holiday home. So the evidence that the train has made a journey is apparently evidence uh, that uh, he's just laying low from uh, the corona with his concubines at his holiday home in North Korea's most luxurious holiday resort where he goes with his concubines uh, at uh, at this time of year, he's like 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 uh, with his concubine. He's like like the official private train of Kim Jong, and he always pulls out in time. They, he's uh, punctilious like that. At any rate, we're hoping to get some uh, news of uh, Kim Jong Un uh, and establish whether he is uh, brain dead. Uh, it's not necessarily an obstacle to being head of state. Uh, Joe Biden's doing quite well on it in the last couple of weeks. But we will try to keep you up to date on that. And also the Michael Flynn story, which, as with all the stories these last three years, is not about the defendant, but about the dirty, rotten, stinking, corrupt prosecutors from the Federal Department of Justice. We're going to keep up to date with uh, some of those other stories, too. And as always... This show is nothing without your call, so we want to hear from you. 1-800-282-2882. Call now, and uh, I look forward to talking to you in the next three hours on America's number one radio show. Mark Stein in for Rush on America's number one radio show. Do you, do you remember uh, way back when, shortly after 9-11, a week or two after 9-11, and President Bush was asked, uh, what could the American people do uh, as, uh, to play their role in the, in the pushback after 9-11? And he said, go shopping. Uh, in, in other words, uh, what you could do is keep the economy going by going off to your sh shopping mall and buying lots of stuff. The consumerist approach uh, to the clash of civilizations. And I didn't think that was enough then, and um, I was critical of that soundbite uh, when he delivered it back then. Now we have completely the opposite, of course, because what is the average uh, American citizen's job in this pushback against this uh, pandemic? Uh, don't go shopping. And uh, Bill Barr, the attorney general, has now uh, announced that he's going to look into some of these state restrictions on uh, basic requisites of free society, like uh, freedom of movement, uh, because he said that 
some of the conditions imposed on many citizens, including, I would have to say, in in uh, my state and contiguous states, are perilously close to house arrest. And house arrest is something is actually a criminal punishment that you normally have to be convicted of. And basically, uh, when this thing started, the experts said to the masses, uh, masses, you have no role in this. Um, it's something to leave to the experts. Uh, we can we can fix this problem. You can only screw it up. So you guys have to go off, back to your homes, close the doors, put the bolts on, sit there, shelter in place, uh, and we'll tell you when it's uh, safe for you to come out into the world again. Now, obviously, there's a continuum for this. If you do this, I mean, for example, with the um, I was on the air that very afternoon, right here on the Rush Limbaugh show when Boston was sheltered in place, so the police had the streets to themselves uh, hunting down the Sarnaev brothers, who were the big killers in the Boston Marathon. And so you can say, uh, you guys, the rest of you, you got to shelter in place because cops are going to be out on the street and we don't want anything getting in the way when we're taking pot shots at the fleeing Sarnaev brothers. You can do that for 24 hours, 36 hours. They then decided, the authorities, that they could do it for two weeks, and then two weeks becomes a month, and a month becomes two months, and two months becomes four months. And Bill Barr's point is that to suffer this uh, would normally require that you be convicted of a criminal offence. And I don't believe for a moment, given that this is the most litigious nation on earth, given that this country has as many lawyers as the rest of the planet combined, given the percentage of GDP it flushes down the toilet uh, every year in litigation, that this will not prove to be a huge windfall uh, for tort lawyers and class action lawsuits and, and all the rest of it. There's simply no scientific basis for the idea that uh, some people can be compelled to stay at home, while others, uh, oddly enough, mainly in what one might call the Democrat voting categories, are allowed to get on with with their lives. So this is a very odd situation, uh, and and I don't know what will come of, you know, God almighty, do we need any more useless uh, retrospective rear-view mirror investigations, you know, uh, so that by by the year uh, 2023, we'll be in the third year of the coronavirus investigation, even while the Wuhan Institute of Virology has already cooked up the next two, three coronaviruses uh, that, uh, that the Politburo is going to be putting on the next flights to Milan and Paris and New York and wherever. Uh, but that looks. But but there there is no doubt a problem for that. Shelter in place is something you do uh, when the Sarnaev brothers are out on the streets uh, trying to get away. Shelter in place over two weeks is kind of iffy. Uh, shelter in place for two months without any kind of uh, basically without without any kind of advance in where this story is going, and that's why I'm I didn't enjoy that presser last night. I don't want to hear about mask making or or test kits by for Walgreens or whatever. I want to know by now what you got. You guys have been studying this thing for three months. What the hell is it? 
what are its salient characteristics? Dr. Burks, when she gives an interview, actually makes plain they haven't advanced off the starting board from that. They're waiting to see how it pans out in the southern hemisphere. That's how much they know. Yes, America's Anchorman is out, but do not worry, he will return. You are in for authentic, full-strength, all-American, American as apple pie excellence in broadcasting. If you do have problems with the sinister foreign guest host, and a lot of people do, and I'm very sympathetic to it because, you know, Trump uh, announced the immigration ban, so you're probably fig- figuring, well, wait a minute, what does this guy have to do to get kicked out of the country? Um, there's something you can do about it, and it's particularly important at a time of sheltering in place and self-quarantining and all the rest of it, um, because it can get to you. Like, they close the schools. Schools, everyone knows it's a waste of time. The kids go down the hill, get in the school bus, driven down to the uh, town and their warehouse there for uh, eight hours, and they're given some of the social engineering, so they got the correct attitude on... Uh, climate change and transgender issues, and then the little school bus brings them back up uh, and you go down the hill and meet them and uh, pick up the kids off the school bus. And you know, it's just a ritual, but it's it's great to just have the kids out of the house, isn't it? Now you're penned up with them. You're penned up with the missus. You love, you love her. It's uh, your silver wedding anniversary. Just uh, most, She's the love of your life as long as you just see her for three or four hours a week. Now it's 24-7. Uh, there's a cure for that. There's a cure for that. You can go to uh, com and uh, click on the Limbaugh letter, and you will have the best quality reading material in America's best newsletter, the one that's still going to be in business after all these dull as ditchwater, unreadable Gannett monodailies uh, have all gone out of business or been been sold to sinister foreigners like the New York Times has. You're going to be able to uh, just go down to your man cave and relax by reading the Limbaugh letter and suddenly all the tension with the kids and their lousy taste in music and TV and the, uh, the, 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 the kind, just the grating of the missus. It wasn't so bad, you know, the spousal grating for the first three, four, six, ten, fifteen weeks, but it's beginning to get to you now. Go and get a subscription to the Limbaugh. Get the missus a subscription for the Limbaugh letter. You're irritating too, and she'll be grateful to get away from you. Uh, all you've got to do is go to rushlimbaugh.com. Tons of terrific uh, reading. It's uh, all the great stories that Rush finds for his stack of stuff. It's, uh, it's a lot of terrific stuff like that. And then big picture thoughts from Rush himself. Uh, the April issue is particularly good. Go up and sign now if you go to uh, rushlimbaugh.com. Oh, you know... Kim Jong-un, Kim Jong-un. We, we had this filthy rumor at the end of yesterday's show that he'd apparently been injured in his latest uh, rocket test. You know how it goes when he uh, has one of these things. He's going to nuke Guam and it, everything's going so well and, and, and it takes off and it's pointing in the right direction and then it just clears the perimeter fence and boom, clash, smash right into the asphalt. Uh, on the uh, on the road that uh, leads to the local price chopper, um, but so it's not true any of that. Kim Jong Un is apparently alive and well. He might well be guest hosting uh, in the next couple of days. Who knows? Because uh, he does a pretty a pretty good uh, job. We had a caller who wanted to know why it is that uh, China has done such a, a cracking job 
of uh, controlling this thing and uh, preventing uh, it spreading throughout the rest of, of China. Yeah. Well, you know why they've done such a cracking good job on that? It's because uh, they, they decided they weren't going to let it spread through the rest of China. They were going to let it spread through the rest of the world. So they locked down Wuhan. And by lockdown, I mean, when they discovered that people were positive for this thing, they locked them in their apartments and let them die there. You can... That's some serious self-isolation. If you're grating under this quarantine in China, if they think you're positive, they put you in the apartment, they close the door, and you're going to die in there. Uh, so, but instead, they didn't do that to the rest of the world. Instead, they allowed people from Wuhan to fly around the world. This actually is the central lie, aided and abetted by Beijing Bob at the World Health Organization behind this thing. It's as if America had had the first case in, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, Idaho, and prevented that person, prevented anyone in Idaho from, quarantined Idaho, prevented anyone from traveling to any other of the 49 states in the Union. You just had to stay in Idaho. You couldn't go to Maine. You couldn't go to Arizona. You couldn't go to Oregon. You couldn't go to Alabama. But at the same time, the international airport stayed open and you could uh, fly to uh, Beijing, you could fly to Singapore, you could fly to Moscow, you could fly to Tehran. Uh, All the international flights stayed open and people who were quarantined and sealed off from the rest of America in Idaho were still allowed to fly on and infect the world. That's what China did. Now, we had a caller who wanted to know what's the secret of their success. The secret of their success is that they're filthy liars, and there's not a statistic you can trust uh, coming out of there. So their uh, uh, statements about cases and deaths are all, uh, are all basically rubbish. But what we do have some inklings of is that there's a new kind of center of this thing that's just broken out in um, the Chinese northeast. It's where you'd be uh, going through if you were heading up to uh, go to Vladivostok and points beyond. Um, The northeast of China, uh, a town called Harbin, where they've had a little uh, one of these super spreader clusters uh, uh, that has has just... uh, taken off in there. There's some 87-year-old guy who's reported to have infected nearly 80 other people in a big uh, hospital cluster and all the way. But what we know about that basically has to be discerned by intelligence because we're being fed official lies on that subject. And and those uh, that central lie, I, I think Brit Hume is right. If you If you don't want it hung around Trump's neck, uh, and I certainly don't want it hung around Trump's neck because, as I said yesterday, I, I I was bored stiff by the start of the Republican primary season uh, with Jeb Bush, who who had no reason other for running for president. Nice fella, uh, but seemed to think that after his brother and his dad, uh, people were pining for a third Bush presidency in 25 years. Complete completely ridiculous. Uh, We had um, uh, Marco Rubio, who's a nice fella, but again, running on fatuous platitudes. uh, We had uh, then Kasich doing his son of a mailman routine. All rubbish. When uh, Trump came down the... And and they all joke about Trump, that he's just like some reality show boob. He's a celebrity candidate. He was actually the only one who raised an issue when he came down 
Uh, the escalator at Trump Town says uh, Me- Mexico isn't sending us our best, blah, blah, blah. He was the only one who put something real that touches people's lives, touches the, and it was a beautiful thing. I'll never forget the first Trump rally I went to. And there, it wasn't just that he's hilarious, but it was actually when he started talking uh, about the, the, the blighted towns where once people could lead, lead a middle-class life in America, and now they're dead uh, because all those mills and factories are over in Wuhan now, uh, people started actually weeping. So I'm, 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 I'm as Trumpy as they get on that central message. Uh, and I'm in favor of Trump not getting blamed for this and for the Chinese getting blamed for this. I want them blamed for this. I want them to pay a price. And there's only two choices, basically. Uh, either the media get their way and hang it around Trump's necks or the so-called uh, conservatives of America actually do a much better job at hanging this thing round Beijing's neck. They're the only two choices. They're the only people who are going to get blamed for it. And don't get deluded by any of the other supporting characters in this drama. It's Trump versus Chairman Xi. Mark Stein for Rush will take your calls straight ahead. Mark Stein in for Rush on America's number one radio show. Let us go to Ron in Bend, Oregon. Ron, it's great to have you with us on the show. What's on your mind today? Well, sir, first I want to thank you for your book, After America. I oh, was yeah. reading it when all this business started. You wrote that yeah. book 10 years ago, and you predicted just about everything that's happened. Yeah, there, there's actually quite a bit about China in there, and the point at which uh, China decides to flex its muscles uh, and actually inflict some punishment on America. There's there's actually a section uh, in that sure. book about that. It's uh, I don't I, it, no one writes those books because they want them to come true. You write you write those books because you hope people will pay attention uh, and change the way of doing things. And alas, we didn't. But thank thank you for uh, thank you for my, reminding me of that, Ron. Well, that comes to my point. Um, you know, you wrote in there about how a society that lives on the accumulated wealth and grandeur of its culture and lives on that alone, sooner or later comes to a a fateful rendezvous. And that leads to what you called in there feeble pettiness by those who can't face up to what's happening. Mm. And what annoyed me yesterday was this last caller who was saying that these doctors and nurses and medical people and so forth, firemen, cops, are not the heroes, that the heroes are the people who've been put upon by the government and lost their businesses. And I'm sorry, being a victim doesn't make you a hero. Uh, Heroes, by definition, are people who are supremely self-sacrificing, and that's what these nurses and doctors and medical technicians are. And I've I've always fed at the public trough, as my family says, you know, Army, police, Marine Corps, and I'd never felt that I was a hero, even when people were trying to kill me. I was just doing my duty. But a man who's running a business, yes, I admire his self, his 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 wherewithal to have the courage to try to run a business. But to to put that before the kind of people who are working in these hospitals. Well, yesterday in New York, some poor doctor committed suicide because she's so affected by all this. 
No, that's an absolutely, that's a heartbreaking story. She's a 49-year-old woman at a top Manhattan hospital, and and she was overwhelmed by this thing. She didn't die of the coronavirus in a medical sense, uh, but she did in a psychological sense. It just uh, overwhelmed her, and she killed herself. Yes. And, and, and I mean, that's, that's an absolutely terrible thing, Ron. Uh, the, one of the problems with it, one of the most unpleasant aspects of this, though, is a society needs all kinds of people. It, it, it needs first responders who are up close with these people and have paid a terrible price when you read about perfectly healthy people in their 30s uh, and 40s who, who have died of this thing because they've basically helped transport a COVID patient to the hospital. Uh, and you have to get up close with these people, and it's cost healthy 37, 42-year-old people their lives. But the, the one of the unpleasant things about this, Ron, is that we've become very binary. You know, if it's you're like your gender identity, you've got 57 gender identities. Suddenly, Andrew Cuomo is saying, forget the 57 identities. There's now only two kinds of people. There's essential people and non-essential people. And I think quite rightly, people don't like being told that they're non-essential. Uh, and, and uh, you know, don't, they don't like the, 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 the world they live in being divided into... Uh, in, in animal farm types, these people matter and these other people don't. And I think that's mainly what that caller was trying to say yesterday, Ron. Well, in that case, um, I would urge him to get out and protest these illegal and uncalled for regulations on particular areas of the country. And I look forward to your next book. Thank, thank you for that. Thank you for that, Ron. I look forward to it, too. So does my publisher. Uh, but... Uh, uh, Ron, that's actually an, uh, a, a, quite a serious and important uh, point there. You know, when you when when uh, basically the majority of the population is told it doesn't matter. That's not actually that's that's a, a problematic thing. And yes, there are this tale of the uh, New York City doctor committing suicide is an absolutely heartbreaking story. I'll mention a little more about that as the the show goes on. Mark sign for Rush. We have lots more to come. Uh, Chuck Schumer is uh, introducing a provision in legislation to stop Trump from placing his name on the stimulus checks. Uh, This is how it always goes. You know, the issue with the stimulus checks is not whose name is on the signature, but the fact that they were authorized in March and millions and millions still haven't received them. Yes, America's Anchorman is away, and this is Mark Stein. Honored to be here direct from ICE Station EIB in the far northern wastes of this blighted and afflicted land, while Mike is responsible for all the technical expertise. Uh, He's down in New York. He's the last man in midtown Manhattan. It's like some futuristic sci-fi movie there. And uh, if you crawl through the rubble, you'll find uh, Mike sitting there. And his only link with the outside world is he's got like a shortwave radio to connect him to some Canadian loser in far northern New Hampshire and also uh, to uh, Palm Beach in Florida, 
uh, where uh, Mr. Snurdly and the gang are holding down the fort there. We try to, we, 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 we don't like this non-essential essential thing and we don't want to, we don't want to be a braggart and say we're the essential radio show or anything like that. Uh, this is a time for bringing both the members of the essential American community and the non-essential American community together uh, and living as one in perfect harmony. But we do like to think that this is the uh, essential, the, the absolutely essential broadcast outlet that you need when all the others have crumbled uh, to dust. I mentioned yesterday, we're, we're going to be talking to uh, Governor Kemp, who's just opened up his state, uh, Georgia, uh, to hair salons and tattoo parlors and all the other things that make life worth living. We're going to be talking to him in the next hour. Um, and and basically, this is now becoming a question. At some point, this becomes a question. What rights have been repealed in perpetuity, including the right to leave your home, the right to go out and have a meal, the right to go and see a movie, the right to go to a church service, even one that's being held where you're parking cars in the parking lot of the church and listening there with the windows rolled up and the police still come round and ticket you. We've had things that have been deeply disturbing, uh, if only because uh, law enforcement by some of these governors has been granted extraordinary powers uh, and they have not said, "Well, we've got had these extraordinary powers, but let's like uh, let's let's keep a, a a light foot on the accelerator instead of just charging in fifth gear, sixth gear, and just getting these powers and hammering uh, and hammering away at the people." And people have come to resent it, and it's actually changed the politics of this. You, it was it was foreseeable. That's why nobody wanted, initially, no nation wanted to impose these lockdown things until the last possible moment. So they all wait until really it's too late to impose them because they understand that people don't like to put up with them for long. Uh, but what's interesting is once these things have been imposed, uh, the way the state takes to them, uh, Justin Trudeau is telling Canadians that he's like uh, thinking a lot of these things are going to have to stick around now for till 2022 2023 there is no going back uh, there is no going back to normal and as i said at a certain point it becomes it, it is a basic constitutional question because these are basic constitutional rights freedom of speech uh, freedom of movement uh, freedom of assembly freedom of religion that are actually being that are they're being repealed on on some twerpy governors say so. There's no science for that. Um, you can say a lot of things about Fauci, but he isn't a constitutional lawyer. And if his plan for this thing involves repealing basic uh, basic constitutional freedoms, that's the sort of thing you might run by your uh, your corporate counsel uh, before you unleash it on uh, on everybody. But again, one of the disturbing things about it is uh, that. Um, the way the the statists have taken to it in a big in a big way. Uh, there's a story here out of Hawaii. The Maui Brewing Company uh, they make things like beer. But uh, once this thing took off in March, they shifted and began to manufacture hand uh, hand sanitizer. And because they're like a generous kind of uh, 
company and they're not and they're not in the hand sanitizer business. And once this thing goes away, they just want to go back uh, to to making beer and not being in the hand sanitizer business. So they're not thinking about a long term switch to hand sanitizer. So they started switching to making hand sanitizer and they gave it away to their customers. So uh, essentially, uh, they made this hand sanitizer for free and they gave it to their fellow Hawaiians for free. And now the Maui County Department of Liquor Control and its Liquor Control uh, Commission uh, ha- is investigating them because they've given away more than 1,000 gallons of hand sanitizer uh, to first responders, for example. And there is that Maui's extensive liquor regulations forbid anybody with a liquor license from giving, quote, any free goods of intoxicating liquor or other merchandise in the connection with the sale of any intoxicating liquor or to provide any premium or free goods of intoxicating liquor in connection with the sale of other merchandise. So in Maui, according to these characteristically stupid liquor regulations, Uh, It's against the law to give away hand sanitizer to people who buy liquor from you. And it's also against the law uh, to give liquor to people who buy hand sanitizer from you. So this gesture, as I said, they've given more than a thousand gallons of hand sanitizer to local first responders. Now, this is at a time when the state has failed. The state has failed by and large, to uh, so it's giving advice on how you reuse this mask and that mask. It's telling everybody to wash their hands, but it can't get the hand sanitizer to you. The principal source of all this stuff, these uh, this much-needed medical equipment, is China, which makes garbage, so the stuff it sends over here doesn't work. But when an American company steps up to the challenge and without making any money at all from it, Uh, starts uh, converting large parts of its operation to hand sanitizer. They get investigated by the pathetic, worthless little Jobsworth Department of Paperwork nobody at the Maui County Department of Liquor Control and its Liquor Control Commission. Why, by the way, why do you need a Department of Liquor Control and a Liquor Control Commission? Couldn't you just have one or the other? I don't know. If you sit on the Department of Liquor Control or the Liquor Control Commission, give me a call about this. Because we keep... This is where it's going wrong. This is where it's going wrong. We're told... We're told... uh, President Trump uses the language of war. And it is a war, in a certain sense, in that... Uh, in, in, in that everything China has done, hoarding medical supplies, flying people to Europe and to North America, they are actually uh, national security issues. So we're having Trump there up there every day using the language of war, using the language of war, national emergency. Same thing uh, in London with Boris Johnson. He's gone into full Churchillian mode. He's using the language of war. Same thing in Paris. Monsieur Macron is using the language of war. Well, if it's war, you've got to stick it to the enemy. Uh, and if you're sticking it to your own people, you're doing it wrong. And people are starting to get the sense uh, that, they're, that, that, that we're not sticking it to the enemy, uh, but they're sticking it to their own citizens. Uh, and I have no idea why the Maui County Department of Liquor Control would think that its priority in this crisis is to apply its 
stupid half-wit regulations to the Maui Brewing Company for being generous enough to make hand sanitizer and give it away for free. And if you are one of these guys at the uh, uh, Maui County Department of Liquor Control and their Liquor Control Commission, do do uh, call up and uh, explain your reasoning on that. Because this is the thing. This is the thing. You can't have you can't have the state taking war powers and then using their war powers on their own citizenry. It isn't going to fly. It isn't going to fly. And the, the the whole thinking of this, as as I said last hour, you can either you can either say China's responsible for these deaths or Trump is. Uh, Trump blaming Trump is what Chuck Schumer and the Democrats and the media have decided. There's no one in between China or Trump. It's a straight, it's a straight choice. So if you're going to have the language of war, then you've got to, uh, then you can't take it out on, on, uh, on your own citizens. Uh, the other thing I said yesterday, um, that it's an interesting test of whether Western civilization still has a survival instinct. Oxford University is quite well advanced in uh, it's it's research and investigation into creating some kind of uh, vaccine for this. And that would be good news. You know, you can have sort of national pride things. It'd be I'd quite like it if Canada came up with a, a vaccine. Uh, you might like it if uh, uh, someone in Maine came up with a vaccine. Uh, Monsieur Macron would like someone in France to come up with a vaccine. But I'll take whatever's out there as long as it works. And an Oxford professor has said, oh, she really doesn't want Oxford University to, to, to come up with the magic bullet that makes COVID goes away because it'll be just the usual thing of privileged white males know best. That's what I mean about the survival instinct. If you're still thinking like that, if you're still thinking, oh, well, look how golly gee, Oxford University has come up with a magic cure for COVID. Oh, I don't want to take that. I don't want to say that's just white males know best. That's just rich white males know best. And we've had too much of that. I'm holding off until Sudan comes up with the cure for this. Do we still have a, a basic survival instinct? If you if if you if you don't want the cure from Oxford because they're uh, old white rich males, if you're uh, prosecuting the Maui Brewing Company for handing out free hand sanitizer. You're part of the civilizational death. You're part of the two, you're part of what happens when society becomes too stupid to survive. 1-800-282-2882. Mark Stein, Infrarush, will take your call straight ahead. Mark Stein, Infrarush on America's number one radio show. Let's get a mic. In Cedarburg, Wisconsin, Mike, uh, you're live on the Excellence in Broadcasting Network. Great to hey, be Mark, with before us. Before the break, you said that there was nothing in between the Chinese Communist Party and Trump with respect to who's responsible for this virus. Totally agree with you, and that's why we should call it the Jinping virus or the CCP yeah. virus, right? Yeah. But that's yeah. not why I'm that's not why I'm calling, Mark. I want to tell you about my 87 year old loving and remarkable dad in a New York nursing home, and how I fear he may become a victim of Cuomo's leftist hypocrisy. 
Mark, you know, on March 25th, Governor Cuomo ordered that only in one day all New York nursing homes had to accept COVID-positive patients. Right. Why would a governor order the most vulnerable to be housed with those who are actively infected? There's only one plausible reason, and that's because he feared that there wouldn't be enough nursing, enough hospital beds for those people who he deemed to be more worthy of salvage. One day's notice was totally inadequate for any facility to become prepared for such an onslaught. Uh, And now, one month later, Mark, out of the 130 patients in my dad's nursing home, 90% of the 50 who've been tested are now positive for COVID. Now, that doesn't mean that it was the patients who were transferred were the vectors. It might have been the staff. The virus is ubiquitous. But I want to tell you something about why I think Cuomo's a, a, a hypocrite and why my dad may be his victim. Because Cuomo, right, if only I save one life, Cuomo, What he was implying is that some lives are more valuable than uh, than others. The governor who advocates infanticide it one day after birth only wants to save those lives older than one or two days and say only those younger than your age, Mark. Anyone outside of that range is simply not worthy. To be a lefty is to be a hypocrite. Well, you're absolutely right. And in fact, he keeps going on about his mother and how he's calling his uh, laws. Then he's naming them after his mother and all the rest of it. And yet, as you said, he took a decision that he was going to basically warehouse certain corona positive patients in care homes without, as you say, again, correctly, giving them time to prepare for it. 24 hours, is it? And as you know, as you've just said, people walk this thing around. If uh, somebody who's dealing with the corona-positive patient uh, then walks up the corridor and interacts with your dad, and I hope your dad comes out of this thing okay, because basically there is a culpability issue with that, uh, that governor's decision, Cuomo's decision. There's no science behind it or anything. And in fact, the only thing people knew on the day he made his law... Uh, was on the evidence of what had happened in northern Italy and Spain and all kinds of other places around the world, was that care homes are particularly vulnerable. You you introduce corona into those homes, and you know you're going to spread it up and down the corridor and into the rooms and the recreational lounge and everywhere else, Mike. He, he, He will be held to account for that decision. If Grandma Cuomo was in a nursing home in New York, that facility would have been exempted. Yeah, I think that's the other thing, too, uh, when, we see, when we see these things. But as, what, what we're seeing in this case, it wasn't even a medical decision. Some of these decisions that they had to make in Italy, where they turn away anybody under 60 or whatever, uh, they turn away with anything other than coronavirus, Uh, We didn't get to that point in New York. Instead, Governor Cuomo made what was essentially a medical decision, and it was the wrong medical decision. I don't know what the numbers are going to come out like in New New York, but in in, uh, the UK, for example, a third of all coronavirus deaths are in these uh, care homes, residential homes. So you move corona into one of those homes, you know you're going to be killing people. It's a, it's a terrible thing what, what he did. How's your dad doing, Mike? 
He's doing fine. Thank you for asking, Mark. And so far, you know, he hasn't shown any symptoms and he hasn't required testing. Mm. It, and, I, and I appreciate your asking. But I, I, I want to emphasize the point that he made, the Governor Cuomo made not only a medical decision, he made a bio ethical decision based on lefty ethics, not on universal and not on conservative ethics, that all lives have value. Right. And he didn't even do it on the most basic of medical uh, decision making. uh, First, do no harm. What he chose to do, especially with the 24 hour notice, was to do harm. The governor of New York State chose to do harm and left those homes in no choice in the matter. And he should be held accountable for any subsequent deaths. Yeah, I, 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 absolute, I absolutely agree with that. You know, there's going to be we waste so much time with all this retrospective investigation and things. But this decision of Cuomo's, which he soft peddled uh, while he was doing his shtick on TV every day, actually had severe consequences. It actually infected he infected uh, facilities where uh, the most vulnerable in the population live. And that actually should be hung around his neck. Nothing Trump has done in the wildest derangements of the media comes anywhere close uh, to that, Mike. Totally agree. And, but, Mark, he didn't only backpedal. On Saturday at the news conference, he actually blamed the nursing homes for misinterpreting his written directive. I mean, that is the penultimate liberal hypocrisy. Right. Right, right. No, and and as and as you say, Mike, this is uh, this is this is absolute. Every aspect of this that he could get wrong, he did get wrong. I heard on the radio the other day. I was just listening to some music show, nothing political at all, uh, but it was coming out of New York, and they just said, "Oh, the governor is doing a fabulous job." No, he isn't. You these these uh, he took what was a public health policy uh, and decided to so pervert it that he'd move highly infectious people uh, into closed populations of the most vulnerable. Thank you for that call, Mike. I wish your father well um, at the age of 87. I love these stories of people who are uh, 99, 103, I think 106 is the record, of people who survived this thing, despite uh, what has happened to them. Uh, And I hope that, uh, that your father in New York is one of them. Thanks for that call, Mike. Mark Stein in for Rush, uh, delighted to be here. There is other news. You know, the uh, coronavirus, uh, the coronavirus hasn't eliminated all news. We have this breaking story that oyster flatulence is worrying climate scientists. Uh, they've, they're worried that the decision to expand aquatic farming uh, could have a huge knock-on effect on climate change. They note that 10% of the global warming gases released by the Baltic Sea are from shellfish flatulence. So, so <laughs> they, they track <laughs> Mr. Snurdley is Mr. Snurdley, you're so skeptical. They track, they've, they've, they're monitoring every one of those uh, flatulent shellfish down there. You know that thing I mentioned it? Uh, well, they do. The, 
Mr. Snurdly, you're not anti-science, are you? You're not anti-experts. Experts know everything. I bet Fauci could... If you just sprung it on Fauci at a cocktail party, he could do 40 minutes on shellfish flatulence just like that. It's uh, it's uh, the world's silent killer. Shellfish flatulence is responsible for climate change. It's a much bigger threat than the coronavirus. Um, but, uh, the, you know, the Germans, they, they, had, they made those harnesses. They, like the la- they basically made lederhosen for each flatulent cow, some German university, as part of an experiment. And they made this little video of the cows in the field walking around in their lederhosen that tracks how flatulent they are. And you can laugh, but, you know, you're a fool if you think that's just going to stay with cows. You're going to be fitted for one of the flatulence lederhosen harnesses uh, next. So anyway, it's now shellfish uh, flatulence. There's no end to the flatulence at climate change. It's great. <laughs> I would love it. Uh, oh, uh, oh, son, what are you going to do with your life? I've decided to go into flatulence, uh, Dad. Um, so the big thing I'd like to know is where is AOC on uh, shellfish flatulence? It's all very easy, isn't it? To be anti-bovine flatulence and demanding the slaughter of every Holstein uh, in my bucolic state of New Hampshire. But what are you going to say? Uh, You know, the thing about this is is if you're not up to the minute, you're just yesterday's man. Where's AOC when it comes to shellfish? Shellfish. Shellfish flatulence. Um, it's it's uh, it's the uh, the America's silent killer. We need we need to divert everything we're doing. Uh, from the coronavirus and divert it to shellfish uh, flatulence. Uh, I think this story came via Mr. Snurdly, but it appeared in the stack of stuff, and it's about Hope Hicks. It's a big thing uh, in uh, about Politico uh, via the Daily Mail saying that it was Hope Hicks who pushed Donald Trump to take control of coronavirus briefings. And it's one of these planted pieces that you have in Washington, where nothing is as it appears, and it appears to be uh, fitting Hope Hicks up for the cement overcoat uh, for the whole uh, phony, uh, just uh, drink a gallon a day of Drano and you'll be fine thing, which they've managed to, to hang around Trump's neck. And they're trying to blame Hope Hicks for it because Miss Hicks uh, was the one who said to the president he needed to take control of these coronavirus briefings. And as I I hate having to preface my every observation on this by saying that I've got a pretty good track record on on Trump. Uh, It's out there. I think he came down the escalator in the middle of June and whatever it was, the first week in July, I said, this guy's the only one talking about any real issues. And a few weeks after that, I said to Alan Combs, he's going to win the nomination and and he's got a better chance of winning the election than any of these so-called more house-trained and mainstream candidates like Jeb Bush. He was the only one actually talking about anything real, which the Republican Party had largely given up talking about in uh, recent years. Uh, but, but, that said, I don't, I wasn't, you know, I don't want to see the president there uh, with Walmart and... Walgreens and CVS CEOs talking about testing sites in their parking lots. I don't think that's I don't think that's what this is about. There is the testing site thing is is an issue. People want testing sites that don't involve going to hospitals or clinics. 
uh, in part because they're worried they'll get the disease if they go to those hospitals or clinics, and in part they're worried they'll just be given the runaround, as one often is, uh, by uh, if your Blue Cross Blue Shield doesn't have the right kind of plan or anything. So people would much rather get it at the Taco Bell parking lot than at the hospital parking lot. I, I get that. I understand that. I don't think it's actually what the president should be talking about. Uh, and watching that thing yesterday, people explaining how they're working to get these swabs over to this company that's doing that test kit. Uh, years ago, when I, when I was uh, started, I was a teenage disc jockey, and, and you'd, PR people would call you up and say, uh, hey, uh, Barbara Streisand's coming to town, and she's going to be doing a big gig at uh, whatever. And you'd say, oh, that's, that's great. So you mean I can have Barbara on the show? Uh, well, no, no, Barbara isn't doing any interviews, but the general manager of the Pantheon Theatre uh, is uh, available for interview on what it's like bringing Barbara Streisand to come and do the show at the theatre. Oh, really? And that isn't really so interesting. And I understand that the, the, the media are trying to say Trump hasn't done this and Trump hasn't done that. And I understand the logic behind having those guys there yesterday. But I do not think... That is the best use of a a two-hour presser. Uh, And I think think there has to be some kind of recalibration about this going forward. I think the president, I'm waiting for the president. I could write it in my sleep, but someone there ought to be doing the big picture thing on how this happened. He was coyly sidestepping around. Only one country, only one country did this. He didn't actually, I don't believe he actually named the country. Yesterday, so people would be missing. So, oh, one country did this. Who was that? Mont- Montenegro, uh, Tuvalu. Who was it? Who did that? You've actually got to spell it in. In a, when you're in an environment where you're up against the filthy lies of the New York Times and CNN, you've actually got to put it out there. There's uh, 226 nations and territories that have this thing, and in 225, it was walked in from another country. The only country where it wasn't walked in from somewhere else was China. So you've got to hang that round that. You've got to hang that round the neck very specifically. You want, to give a big, you want to give a big picture thing. This is a disease of globalism. You want to say, you want to talk about how we're going to bring more and more of manufacturing home. Um, these, so my old colleague at the Daily Telegraph, who was the war correspondent of the Daily Telegraph in, in Britain, Sir John Keegan, a brilliant war historian. And he used to have a line when we'd be talking about Norway or whatever. And he'd say, a country, a nation that can't defend itself isn't really a nation. And I've never forgotten that line because I think it's a great insight. Norway is one of the wealthiest societies in human history. The wealthiest places on the planet, uh, wealthier than, than most nations have been uh, forever. It was even dignified by President Trump because he called it one of the non-bleephole countries. But, but, but if Kim Jong-un and uh, like 20 of uh, guys from the North Korean army showed up on the board, Norway can't actually defend itself. And to use that line by Sir John Keegan, a nation that can't defend itself isn't really a nation. Now, I would go further than that. I think a nation that can't make its own medicines isn't really a nation. So when you give 95% of the planet's uh, medical business for everything uh, from, uh, from, from masks that save you from the Wu flu uh, over to basic aspirins, when you give production of that to China, 
you're actually making yourself super vulnerable in a way that all the planes and all the cruise missiles and all the tanks can't do anything for. Not if, uh, not if the guy who gets into the tank uh, and goes off to wage war uh, comes down with irritable bowel syndrome and China decides to withhold the medication. So we, I, think we, I think these are Trump's themes. He owns these themes. Many other people, John Kasich doesn't own them. Jeb Bush doesn't own them. These are Trump's themes. And he should give the Trumpiest of all Trump addresses on what we need to change going forward, rather than standing there next to some guy who owns a pharmacy chain explaining uh, how many test kits they hope to have running, uh, test sites they hope to have running in seven states by the middle of June or whatever. Uh, that's that's what that's what the president that's what the president needs to do on this. And I just I have no influence over him. I'm not like Rush. I don't pick up the phone and talk to him every other day. But I I honestly feel this this disease vind the, the spread of this div- disease the uses of this disease uh, the behavior of our principal economic rival in the course of this disease. And underlines every point Trump made when he was running five years ago. And I'd much rather see him give a big Trumpy, Trumpy, Trumpy address on that uh, rather than uh, stand there next to some guy from Walgreens. Mark Stein for Rush, your calls straight ahead. Ed, you're live on the Rush Limbaugh Show, America's number one radio show. Well, thank you, Mark. I'm a big fan of you and of Rush and... Uh, I'm actually calling from the communist state of Michigan. Oh, right. Um, and I've got two, two scary things. Uh, first, I'm an attorney. I'm a law professor. But I cannot uh, – last week, I couldn't golf or go in a motorboat or buy right. flower bulbs. This week, I mean, those areas were, right, were roped off in the store. I could touch them. I just couldn't leave the store with them. This week. We don't know what the governor did, that, that woman from Michigan. We don't know what she did to make him safe, but somehow we can now go on a motorboat. We can golf, but we can't ride a motorized golf cart. Those somehow spread the virus, um, and she is putting together a taxpayer-funded commission to study the racism of the coronavirus. Yeah. That's the scary thing. Uh, that's the first scary thing. The second scary thing is... Our Michigan Supreme Court, with a Democrat uh, Supreme Court justice, uh, um, has just gone along with it. Instead of having two, uh, three co-equal branches of government, the, the Supreme Court of Michigan, I can't practice now because they have issued an order. They cite the executive order of the governor as why the courts are closed. Yeah, that's, that's that's the scariest part. That's interesting. That basically uh, an an executive order from uh, the uh, uh, the chief executive of the state has closed down one of the three branches of government. Uh, and let me let me ask you about this, Ed, because I was I was saying there was no scientific basis for what's what's going on. Because, for example, there's been no super spreader outbreak anywhere in the world about a movie theater. Yet movie theaters are closed. There's no science behind that. Uh, so let me ask you. Let me ask you about it from a legal point of view. What? Uh, statutes in Michigan law, what uh, torts, what common law doctrines 
underpin the governor's actions and your Supreme Court's support of them? <laughs> well, um, that's a very good question, because right now they've just conceded, the legislature and the Supreme Court have just conceded their power to her. They cite their, they're not citing statute, they're not, they're not citing uh, anything other than due to the governor's executive order number, whatever, so this should over 60 of them this year, um, we uh, jury trials are off until the middle of June. Everything's pushed off. And so the the right to a speedy trial, uh, whether it's criminal, and right. I deal with criminal, but criminal, yep. civil, they're not citing any statute. They're citing the governor's. They're saying the governor's got more power than us. Yeah, so the right to the speedy trial has basically been suspended in Michigan. Now, here's the funny thing, Ed, and I'll, I'll, uh, I'd be interested in your take on this. When the President of the United States announces, for example, that he's decided to suspend uh, immigration from Yemen and the Sudan and Somalia, some hotshot Democrat lawyer gets that before some guy in the Ninth Circus in, tw- in, in 20 minutes. And some district court judge is striking down uh, the president's U.S. immigration policy. Why is nobody getting that to a courthouse in Michigan and doing the same to Governor Whitmer? Uh, Well, that's that's a very good question, because the president does have the full authority to do that. And there's so many other things that um, nobody, so many of my colleagues are just going along with this. Their, their their attorneys, their defense attorneys, people who are supposed to stand up for the rights of the accused, and instead they're just going along with it. Well, you know, I've had, it's not a criminal case, Ed, but you know, I've had this case going, uh, it's coming up to its eighth anniversary in the D.C. Superior Court. And if I'd known that the, the, the quickest way to get out of this thing is just to say, oh, well, you know what? All courthouses, case continued. We'll see you maybe in 2021, 2023. See you then. The whole justice system is shut down. Ed, uh, Ed, I would be, uh, I would be interested. Keep battling your insane governor because as I said earlier, quite confidently, there's no scientific basis between, behind these decisions. But actually, the suspension of ancient and basic rights, such as the right to a speedy trial, is deeply uh, disturbing. Good, good luck to you, Ed. Uh, thanks for uh, calling us today. This is Mark Stein in for Rush on the Rush Limbaugh Show. We have the governor of Georgia, Governor Kemp, is coming up. Uh, to tell us about reopening uh, his state. If you're in Hawaii or Guam and you want to get a tat, uh, his tattoo parlors are open. We'll uh, have that and lots more straight ahead on the Rush Limbaugh Show. Amid estimates that as much as 80% of the U.S. meatpacking capacity could shut down, uh, President Trump has ordered meat processing plants to remain open declaring them critical infrastructure under the Defense Production Act and uh, promising to provide them with more protective equipment. Uh, This comes after uh, Tyson Foods' big ad yesterday uh, about how the uh, supply chain could break down. What's at issue here is that this is physical work and the workers work close together and they sweat. This is a literal case of 
how you don't want to see how the sausage is made. But they sweat a lot, and I would imagine protective gear is going to make them even more uncomfortable in that respect. Uh, but after Tyson's ad yesterday, Trump has ordered meat packing plants to stay open. Yes, America's Anchorman is away, and I know, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, hey, wait a minute, I own a hardware store, and I've been told I'm non-essential, and I'm a waitress at the diner, and I've been told I'm non-essential. How the hell does some lousy Canadian guest host get away with passing himself off as essential? Well, don't worry, we have a cure for that. If you go to RushLimbaugh.com, and you will see the button uh, for Rush 24-7, and you click on that button, and you become a Rush 24-7 subscriber. You need never again be discombobulated by any non-essential Canadian guest host ever again. Uh, Rush 24-7 means what it says. It's a great deal. You get Rush 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year in any format uh, hitherto existing or to uh, be brought into existence. That's to say you can get the radio show any time of the day or night when you want it. Uh, this, 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 there's nothing to do in the lockdown. You're, you're trapped in. It's driving you mad. Why not restore some sanity by waking up in the middle of the night and uh, listening to Rush between 2 and 5 a.m. You get the transcripts. You get the ditto cam. Uh, they don't have the ditto. They d- don't have the ditto cam for the guest host, which is just as well as I'm doing the show with my white hair and straggly beard and uh, my Charlie Rose uh, bathrobe cord not included. But Rush always looks terrific on the ditto cam. You've got the huge archive. You've got the television show. You've got basically a third of a century's worth of wisdom. And it's all there for you if you go and become a Rush 24-7 subscriber at RushLimbaugh.com. Now, also in the business of operational manners matters, the first thing that happens uh, at five past midday uh, United States Eastern time is that the nice little pajama boys at Media Matters uh, switch on their radios and write down everything that Rush or the guest host says in the hope that there will be some formulation of words that will enable them utterly to destroy Rush or if that's uh, too big to possibly hope for, at least to destroy the guest host. They, they had a pretty good shot at uh, me. Uh, they tried to get me cancelled uh, a couple of weeks back. Almost uh, almost pulled it off. Seemed to um, It came very close to uh, working because we live in a faint-hearted age. There's no culture of free speech uh, anymore. It's uh, an appalling situation. But the, the urge to censor and the urge to cancel... Uh, and the urge to crush and destroy and silence is very strong with these. And they're nice little pajama boys. I think they get paid 17000 a year or something uh, to write out everything Rush says or, or write out everything uh, the guest host says um, at, um, at Media Matters for America. And this was founded by a guy I actually knew back at the American Spectator in the 90s because he was the guy who he made his name in the uh, Clarence Thomas case uh, uh, and then they sicked him onto Hillary, and he—he's he, the only person on the planet who, once he started investigating Hillary, was charmed by her and enthralled by her and seduced by her. And he went over to Hillary's side, and then he founded Media Matters and all the rest of it. Now he's—he's uh, 
in some kind of trouble with the IRS for violating IRS rules by transferring $2.7 million in tax-exempt assets to his for-profit media company, also owned by David Brock. So all the, the little Zacharies sitting around in your pajamas, I know you're waiting for me to say something Islamophobic or transphobic or whatever phobic, thisophobic, thatophobic, but you might also want to, this is a time for looking at the moat in your own eye. Is the guy, you little nice little pajama boys, making 17 grand a year working for Media Matters in America, writing out everything Rush says, and I know you find it rewarding work and you love it, but is the guy you're working for actually just a big, cheesy tax fraud? David Brock by name. Interesting story. You can read more about it uh, at the Daily Caller and at BizPack Review and various other outlets. You're not going to see it anywhere. Not going to see it anywhere on NBC, CBS. A lot of these other institutions take their cues on what a report. So in other words... Media Matters put something out there and the Daily Beast and the Huffington Post pick it up and all the rest of it. But are they just picking up the droppings of some sleazy, cheesy tax fraud, uh, diverting money from his uh, non-profit tax-exempt so-called charitable foundation to his for-profit entity? Uh, You can read all about it, Daily Caller and BizPack Matters and uh, and other... uh, aspects uh, uh, and other publications of that ilk. Um, Mark Stein in for Rush. I wanted to say something about Michael Flynn. We keep hearing it's about to all be over for it. It's about, it's about to all be over. He has had three years of this. And what's interesting to me is that this is the, the week. He, he basically had a, a legal team very, from a very prominent white shoe law firm, as they say, that wasn't entirely bore on board with uh, Michael Flynn's protestations of innocence. We then had threats. And, and again, you know my position on this. I regard the Department of Justice as dirty, rotten, stinking, corrupt. Whether it's dirty, rotten, stinking and corrupt from top to toe uh, is... Uh, interesting uh, and would be worth examining, but it is certainly dirty, stinking, rotten and corrupt at the top, and particularly so in the latter years of uh, the Obama administration. And basically, those figures decided to cripple the incoming Trump administration in, again, something, you know I'm opposed to this, that worthless three-month transition between uh, the... uh, the election in November and the point at which the guy takes over in January. And I've heard all the explanations for it. You know, that's the time it takes him to ride. It was in there because that's the time it takes him to ride on a donkey from Augusta, Maine to Washington or whatever. It's a waste of time, all that. And, uh, and, And the only thing that happened differently this time was that the Obama administration decided not to waste its time and to use those three months to cripple the incoming administration, which is really quite a thing. And so we had the General Flynn thing. General Flynn was National Security Advisor for 20 minutes, and then they decided to do a number on him. Uh, within months, he was broke, he was ruined, and they were threatening to do likewise to his son. And so this guy was prevailed upon by his lawyer. And they they always find the, the, the point of pressure. 
Uh, they've done it with other people. They've said, if you cough up Trump, if you give us the goods on Trump, by which they mean if you lie about Trump, if you tell us something about Trump that we can just stick it, uh, him with, uh, then we won't ask for jail time. That's that's what they've done in other cases in this. It really is disgusting. You know, we, I was talking about these meat processing plants where everyone's working in close quarters and they all sweat and the sweat's dripping on the meat. And I was saying it's one of these things where you don't really don't want to see how the sausage is made. You really don't want to see how the sausage of federal justice is made because it's just as sweaty and disgusting. So they're threatening people, threatening people all the time. There's no... You know, a man is entitled to a, a fair trial by a jury of his peers, but that's not worth going for here because they win 97% of their cases, the feds, without taking it to trial. And they win, if they have to take it to trial, they win 99% because they've got unlimited budgets. They can buy the witnesses they need. It's, it's as repulsive as anything I've ever seen close up. But in this case, what they did with Flynn is basically uh, they... They, th- they threatened his son and prevailed upon him to settle. And uh, I don't keep what I keep doing, the I told you so thing. But one of the things I really loathe is settling because you wind up with verdicts that are, are neither true nor false, but are merely what the parties have agreed to. And uh, as I always say to people who, who sue me, if you sue me, you better be prepared to go all the way because I like, you know, uh, I win, you lose. Or you win, I lose. I like uh, guilty, innocent, guilty, liable. That's how I like it with all these things. Straight up, straight down. I don't settle. Because I think settling is actually repugnant to justice when it's done in the way that the Federal Justice Department do it. And we're now told that Flynn, Flynn even if uh, the judge were to support this plea, to support this withdrawal of his plea. He has said he's confessed to a crime he did not commit because he was strong-armed into it by these dirty, rotten, corrupt senior uh, uh, FBI and Department of Justice officials. Trump, Trump keeps using the word a disgrace, and it is a disgrace. And actually, the only person here who should be in jail uh, are the feds, the FBI guys, the DOJ guys, who actually... Uh, brought things to this pass. In other words, they're the ones who took this case to court. They did things. They didn't actually... uh, A a lawyer, we had a lawyer on just a few minutes uh, ago, uh, and he would have been the first to say that a lawyer has uh, what they call a duty of candor to the tribunal. In other words, he can't withhold things from the judge. These guys uh, did set up, uh, secret deals, corrupt agents doing secret deals uh, with Flynn's own lawyers and then concealing it from the judge. That is actually a fraud upon the court, a fraud upon the court. And there is no reason, you know, everyone's been told there was no actual good faith reason for the prosecution. There was no good faith reason for the threats required to get Uh, Michael Flynn to confess to a crime that he did not commit. And it is about time that someone else went to jail. We all know how this goes. That basically, if you're in the club, if you're Hillary, you don't go to jail. If you're Jim Comey, you don't go to jail. If you're General Flynn, you go to jail. If you're George Papadopoulos, you go to jail. This has got to stop. This isn't a land of laws. It's a land of men where the men who are in the club skate on everything. 
and where and where people like General Flynn can have his uh, savings exhausted. He's broke. His name is in ruins. Uh, he didn't get to serve in government uh, for which he would have been fully qualified. And he was forced to commit to a crime that he didn't commit in order, forced, forced to admit to a crime he didn't commit in order to protect these thugs, these goons, these people who shouldn't be in any building with the name justice on it from going after his son. It's a disgrace. It lingers. It keeps lingering on. We were told it was going to be sorted out this week. It better be because people don't get mad about this. Uh, People don't get mad about this. Uh, It is only going to get worse. If you have a corrupted justice department, and a corrupted IRS, for example. So you, you don't really need a lot else, and you have permanent corrupt government. These guys are disgusting, and, and this General Flynn has had them in his lives for three years now. He's broke. He's had his family threatened. Uh, he's not guilty of any crime at all. Uh, and yet still it staggers on week after week. Mark Stein for Rush, your call straight ahead. Hey, we have uh, Governor Kemp of the great and reopened state of uh, Georgia coming up. So uh, let's have another Georgian as uh, the governor's warm-up act. Let's go to Joe in Cumming, Georgia, which is just a little ways north of uh, Atlanta, if I've got my Georgia geography uh, fixed. Joe, what's on your mind today? Well, Mark, it was uh, a pleasure speaking with you. God bless you and Rush. Um, yeah. I was actually going to talk about some of the coronavirus, but you you were talking about General Flynn and how he got railroaded. And I've got a personal friend who had the exact same thing. Uh, he didn't. Well, they didn't realize at the time that when you go against the government, you lose ninety nine percent of the time. Right. Right. And, uh, and he did. And he was a decorated soldier. This guy's like a Boy Scout. And they got him. So if they yep. can get him, they can get any one of us for any type of thing. So Ab- absolutely, absolutely. And as I always say on that, uh, there's no argument about it. Once they decide to come for you, uh, just swing by my pad, uh, climb in the back of my truck. I'll put the tarp over you and drive you across the Canadian border and give you a fake identity, and you'll be living in Belize in a couple of weeks because that's quicker. And you'll uh, and, and if you're lucky, you'll still have a little bit from what was left in your savings account over that. Uh, that's a that's a very good point, uh, Joe. Uh, how do you feel about your state reopening? Oh, it's it's great. I would have done it a week earlier, but uh, I'm glad that the governor did it. I know he's catching a lot of flack for it, but uh, you know the numbers just don't uh, pan out. You know, I mean, looking at two and a half million people that were supposed to die, now it's down below a hundred thousand, and the new numbers coming out from all the different states saying that it's like a 0.3% possibly death rate. Now, nobody wants anybody to die. But, you know, every year we die, people die from flu, viruses, cancer. Are we going to shut our government down and going to shut? Well, that would be a good thing. But if we're going to shut down our economy because of this? Well, you can't. You can't shut. People think of it as if it's like, you know, shutting down your swimming pool for the winter or whatever, and it'll still be there when you decide to open it up in the spring. But it, it, it is an economy doesn't work like that. I think they say that 
in in the UK, a quarter of all companies are not actually operating at the moment. So in in kind of GDP terms, that's just catastrophe alley. And it's a cul-de-sac. If you go further than that, so you've got a quarter of companies that aren't working, you've got 40 percent, you've got 60 percent, you get to the end of the cul-de-sac, you get to the end of the dead-end alley, and there isn't any economy left to reopen. You can't can't actually keep this policy going beyond a few weeks without actually destroying everything. Absolutely. I think they said numbers of 43 percent of small businesses might go under. You you can't recover from that. And I can only say, please, please, Mr. President, open the country back up. Forget about what Dr. Fauci and all these people are running with these old numbers. We knew that people were going to die. We've got everything to plateau now. Hospitals, EMS, they're not overburdened. That was the one reason that they, you know, did the lockdown. But now it's time to get back and, and get the country back on before it's too late. What, what do you say that the Fauci argument is basically, oh, well, the only reason we don't have two million dead is because I took charge of this thing and made everybody stay home. And now it's uh, going to be 60, 70, 80,000 dead, which is terrible, but is a lot less than the two. But Fauci's point is that if you now all leave your homes and go about your normal lives, then we are suddenly it'll be back to one million, two million, whatever. No, if we. I believe that's ridiculous, especially when you look at some of the numbers coming out of San Francisco, how many people have been exposed that they're finding with the antigens. Mm. Um, You can't you can't say that, you know, that's the case, you know, with the numbers they were running originally. Um, So, yeah, I, I would say we may have a slight tick up. But look at what's going on in Sweden. They never really closed down They used common sense, which I think we should have done here, um, you know, and they're they're doing fine. They had a slight kick up higher than we were with the death rate, but they kept everything running and everything is declined. And so, well, well, let me ask you just quickly on that, because it's it's not often we talk about the Swedes as a bastion of individual liberty. But with the with the exception of the Swedes, uh, everywhere else, it's like softening us up for authoritarianism. And you do get the feel when on on all these basic things, freedom of movement, free speech. Have you actually enjoyed living uh, this glimpse of the big status Green New Deal life the last uh, couple of weeks? No. And as a matter of fact, it scares the hell out of me. And it gets me very angry every time I hear more about the corona and I see them uh, up on the TV talking about it like we're all going to die from it. And it's yeah, like the the, the the big permanent scare. We got it. We got to go, Joe, because we got the governor coming in. But thanks for your call. You were the perfect warm up act for the governor of Georgia. Incoming. Yes, America's number one radio show on over six hundred stations across the fruited plain. Great to be with you. Let us go to Brian Kemp, who has the great pleasure of being the governor of Georgia and has uh, taken some dramatic action to end the lockdown in his state, at least. Mike Huckabee is threatening to drive to Georgia to get a, uh, a haircut and a new tattoo, both of which he'll be able to do uh, if you can find a spot on uh, Mike Huckabee's body that hasn't already got a tattoo. Anyway, uh, aside from tattoo parlors, 
and hair salons, uh, Governor Kemp. What what else? How much of Georgian life is getting back to normal with with this decision? Hey, well, good afternoon, Mark. I thought you were going to say that I had the great honor of being on the Rush Limbaugh show, which I do, and I'm very glad to be on with you. But things are uh, actually going very well down here. I mean, obviously, uh, there's you know a lot of opinions and a lot of noise from national press and a lot of political noise. But I think, you know, from what we saw on the ground Friday and Saturday with uh, many of our businesses that, you know, I had closed for three and a half weeks. That was a painful thing for me to do as a small business owner for over 30 years. I know how tough it was on that, on those folks, but, you know, they helped us flatten the curve and get prepared with a lot of hospital bed capacity and other things to allow us to start moving forward and reopen our economy in a very measured way. It went really well. We had a update call with our law enforcement personnel on Sunday, and actually we had some of the lowest complaint volumes that we've seen in the last month during all the different orders that we've had. So, you know, some businesses decided not to open, which they certainly had that right. It wasn't a mandate. It was a, a choice that people had. And you know, the ones that did open, I think they did it in a very responsible way. I had a lot of people giving me comments and feedback on how well the establishment was cleaned and the process and procedures they had. It's American ingenuity. You know, people can deal with a tough situation. They just didn't want to know what the rules are and, and how to play the game. Well, it's also individual liberty, too, because it means uh, somebody's got a hair salon at 23 Elm Street and they want to reopen, but if somebody at uh, 34 Elm Street, doesn't want to open their hair salon. They're free to choose what it is they wish to do. Uh, how, how, how scientific, as it were, is, uh, were the decisions that you've made in deciding which businesses you would permit to reopen but which you would rather stay closed? I mean, did well, you get a lot of research and information? Well, I think, you know, we've been following the science and data. I mean, you know, Dr. Kathleen Toomey, who's a, you know, well-educated, 40 years in public health and epidemiology. I mean, she's one of the best in the country, I believe. Uh, She's worked all over the world. Uh, You know, I didn't make this decision by myself. She supported it based on the data and all the models. But it's it's even more than, than models, but information, talking to hospital CEOs, knowing that their capacity, you know, the hospital is way underutilized in Georgia preparing for the uh, COVID-19 peak. And I think they felt like we were getting in the position where it's being counterproductive to them to have all these beds and, and taking the financial hit and felt like a measured step forward was good. But, you know, in Georgia, a lot of people don't realize that we never shut down uh, businesses other than the the ones that I reopened the other day. Everybody else could stay open under what we called uh, uh, basic uh, minimum operations, which allowed, you know, businesses to to do whatever they could to keep the business viable in a limited fashion and encourage teleworking and, you know, other best practices to protect their employees. But, you know, we did shut down some that that we felt like, you know, at the time could could, – you know, make the virus spread quicker. Uh, obviously, barbershops and hair salons where you're having a lot of close contact. Mm-hmm. But with our new measures we have, you know, we've got stipulations to account for that. You know, they have to wear a mask. There's, you know, cleaning procedures after each person comes in, appointment only, you know, just all these different things that, 
you know, a barbershop or a hair salon is not a gathering spot anymore. It's a place right. to get a service, go in and go out. And I hope one day that we can change back and get back to normal. But right now, it at least allows people to make a living. I had a had one hairdresser that um, a guy that works for us went to Saturday, and he told me a story Monday morning that, that she was so thankful for the order, and she had been working, literally locking the shop door, would open it when a customer came in, temperature checked them, made them use hand sanitizer, made them have a mask on, and then sat them down in the chair, gave them a haircut, unlocked the door and let them out. One person in, one person out. And she told the guy, she said, look, I am so thankful because I literally was not going to be able to make my car payment this month. Right, right. And I think I think that's where a lot of hardworking Georgians and a lot of hardworking Americans are right now. They've done what the government has asked, but they are ready to get back at it because they're just not willing to risk losing everything that they've worked so hard for, you know, over over a virus. And, um, you know, we're still encouraging people to social distance and and follow the orders that we have in place. But we are allowing the private sector to start back up in a methodical way. Let me, let me ask ask you about uh, this the, the, the partial restrictions you introduced, because you introduced them quite late compared to some states, April 1st. Did you – so you're – in a certain sense, you're like a kind of – semi-Sweden, you were uh, taking more of a uh, this-is-up-to-the-individual approach to it as opposed to just having a mandatory 100% lockdown. Did you see any signs that things were wor- were worse for Georgia because you didn't enact these closures till April 1st than it would have been if you'd done it uh, two weeks earlier? No, I don't think we did. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, when we get through this, we could probably go back and look. But I, I actually think the order we had in place before I, you know, did the closures of some of these businesses and took other actions was working. Um, right. You know, it, it it was it was a measured approach. But it's like I told people, Mark. You know, we were methodical going in, basing this on. You know, the data that we were seeing, the advice I was getting from Dr. Toomey and public health officials and other folks, you know, talking to the hospitals, looking and seeing, like, how much time do we need to ramp up our hospital bed capacity? We built a a temporary 200-bed facility. We ordered some hospital pods that uh, we're still uh, setting up right now. And, um, you know, we work with hospitals to find additional bed capacity. So we really looked at what we were doing was based on how much time we needed based on the model for when our peak was. Now, of course, as you know, these models continue to move. And any time you take a step forward, it's kind of interesting. You get penalized because the model moves even further out. Um, But I've gotten to be where, you know, we're definitely following the models and we're looking at them and we're looking at all the gating criteria, um, which we have met in Georgia under the president's plan, which I personally think is a great plan. He's laid that out very well. He, he's doing the exact same things that I want to do, and that is protect people and to have a great economy. And we're both working on that, and they've done a great job. But that's that means- really what we looked at on, on how we made our decisions, not necessarily on what other states were doing or, or you know, we're but- just a Georgia-centric solution, if you will. Let me let me ask you, since you mentioned the president, he was opposed to what you were doing uh, initially when you announced it. Are, are you and he back on the same team uh, uh, these days or is he actually is he still maintaining his opposition? 
Well, I, I, you know, I hadn't heard him say anything lately about that. I had, we had a great call with the president on Monday and the nation's governors and the vice president was on there and the task force. And I think I was the third person to speak after their update. He, he called on me and gave him an update about what our national guard's doing. We're, uh, you know, we're very proud of our national guard in Georgia. We got almost a little over 3000 troops on the ground every day. They're doing testing. They've cleaned uh, almost 95% of our nursing homes and long-term care facilities with this new cleaning technique to help right. protect them. You know, they're helping food banks. They help stand up this hospital bed space. And uh, so, look, I, you know, I'm appreciative. The, we've had great communications with the president, the vice president, and the task force. And, and I think we're all, all on the same path. And, um you know, we're just dealing with a Georgia situation in that regard from, from my perspective on the data and the public health officials' advice we're getting on our specific plan. But every every state's different. You know, Tennessee yeah, no, no. laid out a plan. So uh, South Carolina, I know Governor DeSantis was at the White House today talking about his plan. I think he's announcing it tomorrow. And I think Governor Ivey in Alabama took some steps today as well. No, you're absolutely right. You can't have a one-size-fits-all for a continental nation from uh, Maine to Hawaii. That's that's completely ridiculous. Thanks, thanks for bringing us up to speed on what you're doing there. I hope it does well, and I hope people actually get out, and when these businesses that have been shut down for a month uh, reopen, that they uh, do not want for customers. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Thanks, uh, thanks a lot for joining us, Governor Kemp. Thanks, Mark. Please give Rush my best. We're pulling for him. Yeah, we all, we all are. I'll give him your mega prayers. He, he, he'll appreciate that, Governor. Mark Stein for Rush on America's number one radio show. we got more to come. You know, the stories of coronavirus uh, that deserve to be told, they are very sad. And uh, I read today about Rana Zoe Mungan. She's a black lady. She's a social studies teacher in Brooklyn. Uh, she called. She thought she'd got the coronavirus. Uh, she she called the hospital. They thought she was having a panic attack and asked her uh, whether she'd been having bad dreams. And she said, my dream is that I'm going to die from this. Uh, she then went to the hospital. They gave her something for asthma and something for her headache. And she said, I think it's something more than this. She wouldn't test it. By the time she went back to the hospital for the third time to get the test, it was too late. Uh, she is dead today, 30 years old, a young black woman, a teacher in Brooklyn. And we should remember these people. They did not need to die. There's over 200,000 deaths around the world, and 95% of them can be laid directly at the door of the Politburo in Beijing. They had a local outbreak, and they decided to export it to everywhere on the planet. Uh, Everywhere on the planet includes one of my favorite places uh, from the capital of Fiji, from Suva, where from time to time I used to have my columns published in the Suva Times, and uh, they paid me more than any American newspaper ever did, too. Let's go to Jerry, who is uh, in Suva, in Fiji. Great to have you with us, Jerry. What's on your mind? Uh, thank you so much, Mark. It's very nice to talk to you again. Just want to give you a quick update. Uh, the government of Fiji shut down travel as soon as Trump uh, did it to the U.S. Uh, I retired from California a while ago. Uh, right. Moved here. And uh, I don't know if we spoke, but that doesn't matter. But yeah. uh, anyway, 
So there was been 18 confirmed cases of, right. 19, of 19 in Fiji. 12 have recovered. Six are still in the hospital. No yep. deaths because they right. shut down the travel. Uh, and that's and that's uh, interesting. I think, if I recall correctly, the, one of the prime minister's first decisions was to say no cruise ships. Uh, in other words, that that he'd exactly. like uh, he he didn't want anybody actually getting to Fiji to 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 walk it around. So, how's life in Fiji now? Then is it uh, because the South Pacific? There's actually places. I think it's Tuvalu, maybe the Solomons. There's actually places in the South Pacific that are among the few places on Earth that have no cases. Is is life in Fiji pretty normal right now? Uh, everything is uh, everything's open except airline travel and cruise ship travel. Right, right. That's uh, that's fantastic. So you're you're living in paradise, and none of the rest of us are going to be able to get there and join you there, because that, that's the decision they made. It's borders, 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 Jerry. You found just like one of the about the best places to be to sit out this thing. And there's no plan to lift these travel restrictions until, one way or another, this thing has passed. Well, the only thing that's going to change border restriction is smarter politicians, and that's not going to happen in America. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. (laughs) No, it's amazing. What the Fijian government did would have been struck down by some district court judge in the Ninth Circuit in your former life, Jerry. So you can... Uh, thank well, we, God we that, uh, that the, we used to call that the Ninth Circuit. Not yeah, the circuit. exactly. That's uh, that's Russia's name for it. And I'll say, I'll say what you like, but actually, you've got much better, uh, uh, much better court system, at least in that respect, uh, in in uh, in Fiji. Tell me just this point that Doctor Burks made. You're about to enter into your autumn and winter. That's all coming up now, and the question is whether this is a seasonal thing, so it affects the winter in the northern hemisphere and it affects the winter in the southern hemisphere. Are you worried it's going to get worse by the time you're in July, August, September? No. We, we, the, the organic thing that we have here, it, it doesn't last. And because of the heat, it, it won't survive. So we're not, we're not worried about it at all. Okay. Well, that sounds, uh, that sounds great. And I tell you, actually, one of the... Uh, I used to have, for a very short time in my life... A Fijian assistant. So I know you're among some of the most beautiful women on the planet there, which is also a good place uh, to go and sit out a deadly virus. Thanks for your call, Jerry. We don't take many calls uh, from my Commonwealth cousins in Fiji, but we're glad to have Jerry there from the capital city of Suva. Mark Stein in for Rush. We're going to close it out in just a moment. From Reuters, millions of Americans locked out of unemployment system, the survey finds. This is people who lost their jobs last month when the U.S. economy dived off a cliff and they have still been unable to contact their state unemployment systems uh, to register for uh, the dole or anything else. It's, uh, It's a nanny state that can't nanny, which is why it has to end sooner rather than later. My thanks to Mr. Snurdly uh, in Florida and to Mike uh, down in New York and everyone else who makes this show happen. It's the get out the rotten fruit point of the show. So I'll give you a bit of time to go and uh, get some of the rotten vegetables you got lying around, bring them off the compost heap or whatever. Because I did say uh, yesterday that Rush would be back tomorrow. And I also said that whenever I say that, 
it doesn't happen. So I shouldn't have said it, uh, but he is going to be back later this week. The great Ken Matthews. You are in the best of hands for tomorrow's show. The great Ken Matthews from the state of Pennsylvania uh, will take it from here, and he'll be with you for authentic American excellence in broadcasting tomorrow. Don't miss it. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.